0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org.
0: I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Valentine's Day. Whether it's your favorite day of the season or you avoid it like the plague, there's no debating it's a big day for the world of food and hospitality. Valentine's Day is what we uh, refer to in the industry as a blackout day. I don't feel... That my manlyhood is threatened when I order a glass of rosé or god forbid a rosé champagne.
1: It's an old Jamaican drink from way back, and we just decided to bring it back into existence. A drink that the men they believe it really does wonders.
0: Tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus Sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Welcome to Food Without Borders Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Leah Kurtz, and today in the studio we have Michelle Carrera of Chili's on Wheels. Michelle is a Puerto Rican vegan food justice activist. She founded Chili's on Wheels in 2014 to make veganism accessible to communities in need. Now she started Casa Vegana de la Comunidad in Puerto Rico in um, in 2018, and she also hosts a micro-sanctuary. She was the co-founder of Latinos for Animal Protection in 2019, which served animal protection organizations in Latin America and organized a vegan Latinos in NYC meetup, which fundraised for Latin American vegan organizations from 2015 to 2017. She is a professional translator and ghostwriter, and lives in Puerto Rico with her human unschooled child, rescued dog, and chicken companions. Welcome, Michelle.
3: Thank you, thanks (laughs) for being here.
2: Yeah, so good to have you here. So can you first tell me a little bit about um, where you grew up and maybe something like you remember eating as a kid that kind of stuck with
3: you? Yeah, so I grew up in Puerto Rico, in Mayaguez, Puerto Rico, which is a small town on the west side of the island, and um, Half of my family is Cuban, so that was really the major food influence was the Cuban food. Um, So, like, black bean soup would be one of my most treasured food memories.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love Cuban black bean soup. (laughs) Um, And so, what led you to kind of the work you do now? Was it a very
3: long trajectory? Was it, you know, more recent? Kind of maybe a little backstory on what led you to... So I've been vegan for, like, 18 years, and I went vegan, actually, in Puerto Rico. Um, We had, my sister got a little chick for, like, Easter, and he grew into a rooster, and, um, you know, he answered to his name, he liked to cuddle, so that kind of um, made me see the person behind him, and um, so I couldn't eat any more animals after that, and... um, and in that process of, of caring about animals, um, I started caring about people as well. Like, I, I realized that um, if we want animals to have the same rights as humans, then we have to, well, what about human rights, you know? So um, that kind of radicalized me. Um, and I worked in a, a variety of nonprofits in different um, fields immigration, uh, adult literacy, um, reproductive rights. And um, everything kind of came together. Um, in 2014, right after Michael Brown um, was shot by police, um, all the marches, and then um, Darren Wilson was acquitted. And um, feeling that kind of burnout of of the pointless fights, right? Um, Feeling that kind of hopelessness, um, I just realized that I needed to do something positive, um, my son, who was four at the time, had also been part of these marches and had been part of these conversations. And I felt like that was a huge thing to put on a child so young. And so we needed to do something positive. Um, and yeah, so I looked for a, um, a vegan soup kitchen in New York, and that does not exist. Uh, did not exist at the time. There were no meal programs in 2014 um, that were vegan. Which is um, wild right in New York City I mean I, I couldn't even believe it um and so we um so I said well we'll just make the meals ourselves and in my tiny kitchen with my tiny pots I made like 15 15 meals that's all that I could do with my pots
2: what was that first meal that you made do it, you was right. it was chili right <laughs>
3: <laughs> Right. what kind and of chili though <laughs> so it was a three bean chili um and, yeah, and so we took it out in a little, little wheelie cart, that hence the wheels. That's how gotcha, it was. Yeah. Um, and we walked through the streets, and we gave out the meals. Um, and it was, like, it was Thanksgiving Day, so um, the streets were, like, deserted. It was very sur- – so it had that tinge of surrealness to it, um, which just made it all the, all the more powerful, you know, and then hearing people's stories um, in the street that we were talking to and, and giving out the meals to – and I just kind of said like, oh, we gotta do this again. Um, what so, part of the city were you in? Uh, Union Square. Okay, we went through Union Square. So imagine Union Square like no oh, cars, you know, and it, it was goes like town. Yeah, and it was like the coldest day of the year that time. Like the, I think the first snow of the of the season. So it was you know everything just kind of came together to be like, wow, what is this day? You know, what what are we gonna do? Um. So yeah. So then we started doing it like once a month, and it was just. A mother and son project. Like it was just us two. Um, and I don't know exactly. I think I posted it on Facebook or something, and some friends started getting really into it. Um, people asked, like, oh, can I come with you next time? So that's kind of how it grew. Everything has been so organic in the way that it's developed. And the conversations that you had with people and that you continue to have as you give out food, what do those tend to be? They range, they're anywhere, anything. Um, they, they, um, they can be about veganism itself, like, oh, so this has meat or no meat or what does that, you know, what does that mean? Um, to, oh, man, I've had such a bad day, you know, and then going on to the bad day or, um, yeah, or just anything about the weather, about anything. Um, and that's, I think, that to me is the most important part of, the, of this work, is that uh, those actual connections and conversations, um, being open to, what, to what, where they can lead.
2: Yeah, and so one of the initial, I'm sure, kind of excuses that a lot of soup kitchens make for not having vegan food is the idea that people don't want to eat vegan food. And in your experience, giving out food and, you know, hot meals and hearty, you know, chilies and
3: and meals, like what has been the reception oh, to the um, food itself? Yeah, no, I mean, we've never, maybe once or twice we've had people that don't want it or that say, well, this isn't chili, this is rice and beans, you know. Um, but, um, for the most part, the reception is really, is well received. We make really delicious food too. People taste it and, you know, um, and also we've met a a number of people that are vegetarian or vegan, um, that are living in the streets or that don't have uh, the resources to, to get themselves, um, constant meals and, um, and there's no options for them, mm-hmm. um, and they tell us that in this in the shelters or in the soup kitchens that even like what would be like a safe option like a salad or something it's already like drenched in dairy um, dressings. Um, so yeah, so there's it's a huge um, accessibility issue.
2: Yeah, that is a disservice to people whether it's for an ethical reason or just allergies that they can't. Yeah, know, find we, things.
3: Absolutely, we get um, we get people. Um, We've made contact with like social workers and these programs, and we get people referred to us all the time. They're either they have allergies um, or they have um, ethical reasons, religious reasons. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that. People that don't eat meat for religious reasons. Um, yeah, they get referred to us.
2: And had you had a lot of experience cooking like large? quantities oh of my food. gosh never <laughs> yeah because that in and of itself is a feat you know scaling recipes like were you getting
3: donations for the ingredients for the food or were you just doing it yourself you initially? know in the just beginning paying? we were just making them ourselves um uh, I started reaching out once once we got started making them larger and larger uh, amounts of food. I started reaching out to like supermarkets and things, and that's when they said like, well, we can't donate unless you're a nonprofit. And so that was the next step. So everything has been so organic because it was like, oh, so I got to make it a nonprofit to get the donations, and so that that's how it kind of grew along, right? Um, yeah, and now so now we've we have partnerships with uh, vegan restaurants, and um, so instead of them wasting the food at the end, they just give us a call and we'll pick it up from them.
2: And have you had to educate a lot around like the Good Samaritan Clause and things like that that protect businesses and oh, absolutely. grocery stores for yeah. giving food? Because there's still, I mean, I think that has changed a bit, but there was a lot of even just a couple
3: of years ago misinformation about whether you can give away food. They still don't know a lot of in a lot of the cases. They still don't know and they don't want to be liable. But yeah, um, everyone is protected. It's a federal law the Samaritan food law and so what
2: I guess what is a typical day doing chilies on wheels what does that look like as far as the preparation how many people tend to come and participate and and I mean I know that it's grown there are many chapters now but perhaps the New York City chapter like what kind of goes on when you when right. you give away um, the food
3: Right, so I mean, the process starts with the, with the, either picking up the donations and having those kind of donations, and then making the meals. Um, and um, we pack, we prepackage those foods. We don't actually serve it in in the places that we distribute them. We prepackage them in, in to avoid like health code um, violations. So we already um, package them individually and bring them out in like um, insulated bags. And, uh, we set up in New York city. We, um, our oldest chapter, original chapter is in Tompkins square park. And, uh, we set up around one um, inside the park. And, um, yeah, we have a little table and we have signs. Uh, we've incorporated like a free store as well with items of like hygiene products and, um, these type of things that are also not tested on animals. So everything that we do is vegan all the way through. Um, the clothing that we give out um, is also animal free, and um, and people already know us. You know, we've been there for almost five years, so they wait for us. Um, they come to see us. Um, they. It's not a. Um, it's not a uh, us serving. You know, this kind of line of food. I, I'm gesturing a lot, and that's not carried over. <laughs> but it's not like a. Um, yeah, a line of food where where this volunteer is serving the meal, and this other person that's in need is receiving it. So we all eat together. Um, the, the volunteers eat the same food that we've prepared, um, and it's just a it's just a hanging out. It's it's what it is. It's it's like a social um, a social component to it is the most important part. We're all eating there together and in talking.
2: Yeah, so it's more of like commensality, and you're actually sharing a meal versus donating a meal which I'm sure shifts the conversation and shifts the whole energy of of that work
3: right because we're all um, we're all sharing whatever's in our lives right like that we've already built these relationships with most of the people that are there and then even newcomers just kind of join into that energy um, of us just yeah just hanging out together wherever we're at so we're talking we're not trying to solve people's problems we're just we're sharing our own as well. You know, we're we're talking about each other's problems together and that just kind of helps to build those relationships and and helps to grow, helps it, all of us grow.
2: Yeah, you made a really um a really good uh, I think it was an Instagram post recently kind of explaining that this isn't just for the homeless, it's for anyone in need and kind of talking about the fine line between well first of all homelessness and not being homeless like that's a that can be one paycheck for some people and also just being food insecure or just being hungry or just wanting to like share space with people can you talk a little bit more about that
3: yeah absolutely so um yeah we serve anyone that that's going through the park first of all we we set up in Tompkins Square Park which is a um there's all sorts of different people from different walks of life that are walking by um and um, we serve people that are homeless, we serve people that are food insecure, which is, you know, they just, $5 or $10, that's a lunch, that's a lot of money for, you know, for a lot of folks too, um, that can go into their heating bill or that can go into their, you know, um, we serve children and seniors and um, we have people that live around the area and come and just hang out. Um, we serve people that are walking by and they, they've they never had a vegan donut, you know, and um, they, you know, you want to try having a donut, and then they just join into that conversation and join into that kind of relationship, right? Um, you know, and, and folks that can make a donation can make a donation for the donut if they want to; they don't have to. Um, and yeah, so it's it's a lot. It's not so clear cut like you can say, "Oh, this is this is the community that we serve." Um, we're just it's just a, a it's a it's messy because we're all messy, right? Life is messy. And then the work that you have been doing in Puerto
2: Rico. So can you explain exactly what that is, how it differs from Chili's on Wheels or how it's similar and kind of what that kind of what that
3: looks like right now since you're back in New York City as well? Absolutely. So um, so it started. So I'm from Puerto Rico. Right. And um, I still have family there. And so after the hurricane, that same day of the hurricane, I was pacing back and forth. Um, what can I do? You know, f- feeling helpless. And, um, I said, well, I'll just take in the food. And so eight days after the hurricane, um, in September of 2017, um, we went back there. We were able to catch a relief flight and we did food relief. Um, within a month, we had done like 15,000 meals, um, cooking in like, you know, there's no electricity. So we were cooking in like parking lots with like open fires and, um, uh, yeah <laughs> it was um very different from what our work here would be um um there's a lot of uh, institutions that weren't getting that depended on the munici- municipal government and um the government was MIA at during that time so um these are like senior uh, homes and orphanages and uh domestic violence shelters and all these places were not getting the meals that they usually get from the government so um Yeah, so we kind of stepped in and and made those contacts and started giving out the food in those places. Um, Since then, um, being in that space and talking to people about veganism, there was this huge um, gap in in even knowing what that word was or having heard Mm -hmm. that word. Um, So the idea of like a permanent place where we could educate the community, where we could talk about these things, um, do workshops, while creating community that kind of came to be so that's um so i came i went back i left that december a couple of months after and i went back in um january of the next year and uh yeah we started casa vegana de la comunidad which is a uh community house where we hold um yeah we hold these events uh, weekly events um which are very popular Are they fill up really fast uh, people come and um just learn how to, yeah, how to cook vegan. There's a lot of interest in, in the health aspect of veganism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they come in, and but they don't know what that looks like. They don't know what the food would look like or taste like. So there's a, there's apprehension in, in having to change their whole relationship to food, right? Um, and we kind of make that accessible. And are you veganizing a lot of Puerto Rican dishes? Are you,
2: what kind of food are you cooking?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we still do chilies on wheels there. Uh, we do that three times a week, uh, three three different communities, and yeah, we just veganized Puerto Rican food. Um, arroz con pollo, it's with soy curls instead of, mm. um, you know, chicken. So that that kind of thing we're we're doing, um, and the the reception is really well. People people ask us for help in transitioning to veganism. Um, we have a kids workshop, so kids are actually cooking the food themselves. Does Ali host that? <laughs> he, he he participates. <laughs> um, so yeah, one day, so one day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so so they're all really. Um, it's all it's very powerful to see that kind of change and to see those kind of relationships and to see that people come back like workshop after workshop. We see a lot of like familiar you know faces that come back. So it's it's really great. And I know there is a small and growing kind of agricultural
2: community as well, trying to return to growing the food there and building that up. Do you kind of have a relationship with those organizations or those people doing that work?
3: And is that like integrated? Yeah, we're starting to make those um, those relationships. Um, there's a couple of community gardens that have started up in some of the towns that we um, that we serve in. So we serve in three different towns, and so we're starting to make those um, those community relationships um, to kind of you know to build these kind of networks at the same time. Um, and yeah, and so the even the concept of like veganic agriculture is is um very foreign so we're kind of trying to protect um provide these kind of resources or connect connect them with people that are doing this like grow as you are in atlanta so um because still you know like animal byproducts are still used in the growing of food so we're trying to kind of provide those resources for folks
2: yeah we're gonna take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back after this
1: This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chao while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MoFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org slash events.
2: Welcome back to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Leah Kurtz, and today we have in the studio Michelle Carrera of Chili's on Wheels. Welcome back, Michelle. Mm, Thank you. So we're just talking about Michelle's work starting Chili's on Wheels in um, the United States primarily, and then starting uh, Casa de Vegana, sorry, I'm (laughs) messing
3: it up, (laughs) Casa Vegana de la Comunidad,
2: in Puerto Rico. So... I'm really interested in kind of the work you're doing, not just as, you know, like a vegan activist and a leftist activist, but as a mother and you are incorporating, you know, your child as well into this work and, you know, raising another human being vegan and the way you're kind of like showing the the ethics behind this, you know, this life and the way we eat and not just eating, but living and moving and treating animals and humans in the world. Um, can you share some about that, like uh, what you kind of bring to that, your approach to raising a child and specifically, you know, a vegan child?
3: Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's no doubt that he was going to be being vegan or that I was going to uh, raise him vegan because I that's I had already been vegan for a lot of years before he was born. Um, so um, but it was very um, it was very interesting to see how how kids learn and how how they're you know, they're very black and white when they're, when, when they're starting to reason. And so it's seeing how, okay, so what does that mean? If you're eating animals, um, does that make you a bad person? And so there's a lot of these kind of, um, you know, m- morality that we kind of have to, you know, dance around, right? So it, it's not, you're a bad person because you eat vegan. Let's, let's help this person go vegan or, um, you know, they might not be vegan yet. So that idea of not being vegan yet or not not um, doing the right thing yet um, kind of came to be. And so we're also an unschooling family. And that kind of, um, that really shapes how we kind of um, learn. Um, so we don't go to school. We don't have um, hard rules. Um, we allow each other to kind of be the way we are um, without imposing um, and so, um, and choosing what we learn and, and how we learn with a social justice, uh, twist to it. Right. Because that's what, that's what we do. Um, yeah, that's, um, I liked what you
2: said, um, on Instagram as well the other day, kind of comparing the way that, um, animals are treated and the idea of caretaking versus just like creating space for people to kind of achieve their own happiness and, and the way that you kind of do that with, um, with your son, but then also with the animals that you share at home with. And can you talk a little bit about those animals too?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I call us, um, I call myself a facilitator. So I'm a facilitator in all, in Ollie's and my son's uh, learning and my son's, um, not just learning, but approach in life in general. Um, I facilitate his being in the world and his growing. Um, and in that same way, I facilitate the animals that we um, have given refuge to, um, their agency and their their living in the world. So, um, yeah, so we um, found in the middle of the road, uh, we found um, our dog, Lola. Um, just in the middle of the Puerto Rican road and she came to us, I opened the door to my car and she just kind of walked right up and I was like, okay, so you want to come with us? Okay. Um, and so now she comes everywhere. She's traveled more than, more than a lot of people have already. Um, and, um, we have, we also rescued, um, two chickens, um, that were, um, in one of the communities that we serve, um, one of the folks, they, they were just like, given these animals um almost like take my problems away here's a dollar take the chicken you know um and which is completely disrespectful and um just yucky all around um so we took the um the chickens in and um yeah they live in our house they're they're indoor chickens indoor outdoor chickens um do they, so they would... wear
2: the little diaper?
3: Things? Yes okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um yeah, and they're you know chickens are just like dogs They're just like cats you know um, they're they're very loving um, they love to cuddle um, they have their personalities and they're very um, different in their personalities and um, and we um, yeah we just kind of make it a safe space for them to be who they are um, without without um, without this. Um, tinge of we're taking care of them we're caregivers without centering ourselves right so we're, we're trying to decenter our ourselves from their lives and just kind of providing that kind of space which I think is one of the most radical things that we can do as vegans is provide uh, refuge to um, typically farmed animals um, that would be you know slaughtered would be killed you know yeah and in a time which in which
2: mainstream veganism has kind of grown um kind of dramatically in a very short amount of time and it's not always politicized it's not always um there's not always a clear link between the food that is vegan and the activism that is Mm -hmm. vegan that um speaks to humans as well as animals and the environment and all of that um and especially in a time in which you know, we're kind of bombarded by really, um, I mean, politics have always been pretty terrible in this country, but it seems like they're, you know, increasingly in our face. How would you kind of link your activism across those different kind of pockets? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not pockets, I guess they're very clearly linked, but I guess how yeah. how does that look like for yeah. you? Yeah,
3: so um, I'm also on the on the board of the Microsanctuary Resource Center, and um, I think that everything is really linked. Everything is about how, what we can do from where we're at. Um, everything so our story was we started doing the food from our pockets and in you know handing out the foods that we can do that we can give um, from our kitchen. And so that's kind of um, where it goes. What can you do with where you are at right now, um, taking ourselves out of the out of the capitalist paradigm, right? Like a solidarity work, mutual aid work. Um, and that kind of, that extends to animals as well. What can we do with the space that we have? Do we have space to, um, host, you know, provide refuge for one chicken? Even that is, you know, radical enough. What can we do with where, with what physical space we have and resources we have? Um, and then, you know, how does that, how does that extend to other things? So like food justice is to, is so tied to that access to healthy foods is so important. Um, environmental work we've talked about um how communities of low income and uh, people of color are the ones that are most affected by animal agriculture um and so we we have to right we have to um, approach these things from all these type of different perspectives but you can do it from where you're at you don't have to um, have a nonprofit behind you or you don't have to have these things um you don't have to have polished websites to do these kind of works, is what I'm saying. We all have a skill that we can provide, even if it's not um, a professional kind of, you know, looking skill. Which I think is
2: great to be reminded of, that it doesn't have to be already kind of ready and and shiny and sparkly, mm-hmm. you know, just making a meal and taking it out to the closest park and offering it and sharing it with someone that that's I mean that's how you started and now it's grown right how many chapters um is Chili's on Wheels we have in the four States?
3: yeah we have 14 um 14 chapters right now but um we're getting requests for it all the time uh we have two in Hawaii one in Maui one in um, Honolulu even um and then one in Puerto Rico okay um, yeah, and that's growing all the time people get in touch with them and they all look different. Um, they all um, because of geographical area, because of community needs, because of um, you know the people themselves that provide the service um, they all they all look kind of different. The Maui one for example, is very uh, rooted in in those relationships with people and and they've gone so far as to like provide, cataract surgery for one of the members and, and being able to navigate their insurance thing so so some of them are a lot more involved um, with the folks that they serve um, than others In like larger cities it's a little bit harder to kind of make those in-depth super in-depth um, relationships and what is involved
2: in um, either starting a chapter or becoming part of a chapter that exists for people who might want to get involved
3: Uh, Well, um, in the website, we have everything kind of laid out for folks Um, um, to just get in touch with us, and we'll kind of walk through them, um, seeing the area, where they would, um, what they would do, how they would do it. It's just a conversation that we have with everyone, and it, again, it varies um, in the area that they're in.
2: Yeah, and so the work you're doing in Puerto Rico, does, do you feel like that gets, does that closely align with some of, like, the decolonizing work going on does that like do those conversations come up in that approach to food and veganism you know
3: specifically interweave in that community uh yeah absolutely i mean decolonization is it's a buzzword right now so everyone's talking about it Um, um but folks have been working for decolonization of puerto rico for so many decades um so it's not something that's new uh in relation to food um we might be some of the people that are just starting to talk about that, about how our food is, um, how what we eat has been colonized, how um, you know, we've been, we're the oldest colony. We've been a colony for over 500 years, you know, since since the Spanish came along. The Spanish were our first colonizers, and then the U.S. in 1898, and we still don't have, those are still our current colonizers. So, um so there's been a change, absolutely. Like the, the, what we call typical food in Puerto Rico is really uh, coming from the Spaniards. Um, the Spanish that introduced all these um, different things and all these animals that didn't exist in the island. Um, and then, um, and we can definitely see a shift after the U.S. came in how people are eating Burger King and they're eating all these fast food things um, that are coming from, from the U.S. So... Um, Yeah. So then the conversation becomes so then what is culture? What is our culture? Um, And how can we then shape if if we don't have a culture that's ours, that's been ours, then that means that we can shape it. That means that we can shape our our culture going forward. And so what does that mean for our bodies? Um, What's what's healthy? What do we want our food to be? Um, And how do we want to approach freedom and liberation um, within our food system as well? food that's produced in the island versus being shipped over because that was something that happened. um, The U.S. kind of killed all the agriculture that was done in the island so that everything could be shipped over. (laughs) Um, And so so there's a retaking of that. And so that's also important. Right. Yeah. So do you see a lot of like not just
2: cooking classes, but gardening or farming or that kind of like you said you're wanting to build some of those connections to expand that to not just how to cook food but actually grow
1: food
3: yeah absolutely we have a little food garden in the back that we started with um, some herbs and some things that people can do but obviously our space is not large enough for that or built enough for that so we've definitely started those those kind of connections with community gardens in the area um, to to, yeah to continue fostering that because everything is connected everything is you know linked together Absolutely. And as, so we
2: were on a panel recently where you were talking about um, kind of working on being more authentically yourself and being more open about all the facets of your identity, not just as like Puerto Rican and vegan and activist, but also like as a queer person in the world. Can you talk a little bit about that, like in the space that you're creating, um, the intentionality of it being very inclusive and very like safe space?
3: Yeah, so that was um, something that um, it was a little hard for me, going back to Puerto Rico. Um, as someone that had lived there and then growing up there, and um, it's different when it's kind of like your own town, you know? It, it um, There's something there's something that, that might feel a little uh, compartmentalizing when you're in that space, right? Like you, um, in a society that might have, uh, because of colonization, let's, let's be real, right? Like it's uh, because we've been trained to follow the mainstream kind of paradigm of, of homophobia. Um, people are not necessarily open to, to folks that are queer, right? And so there's that um, coming into that space, I kind of did feel like, shit, like I have to compartmentalize myself in order to be able to do the work because otherwise people might not want to come or people might not uh, show up um, or feel uncomfortable showing up. Um, but then something... Um, something I don't even know how I kind of came to that. I just kind of saw how those how the relationships that I was building with people weren't weren't fully transformative, um, because when you're holding back on on who you are, you're not able to build those kind of connections fully. They're um, they're they have an edge to them. And so um, yeah, and so uh, yeah, I just kind of realized the importance of being completely authentically completely open and that uh that extends to other identities too like if you go into a non-vegan space you can't just hold back on your veganism right you have to um because then the relationship that you're building with those folks are not going to be um that way open like that either so um yeah so it's a whole and it extends you know even beyond that like if you look at my instagram i'm like posting about like emotional trauma like it's it's a it's an authentic it's an authenticity that that extends everywhere it's just Kind of like just open it, ripping it all off and just letting whatever it is there come out. Yeah, because you also never
2: know who is in the room who needs to hear that or who also feels alone, who has silenced or censored themselves because they also feel like I'm the only one here like right. this. And so it, you never know who you're going to kind of pull in a little closer because you're being more open.
3: Right. And also, people, um, in part of learning in this process of community work, people want to help. People, people grow when they help. Um, I've seen it in myself. I've grown when I'm in this helping mode. Um, I've seen it in Ollie. Ollie grows when he's in his helping mode. And um so everyone wants to wants to grow. And when um when they're typically seen as someone who is in this vulnerable position, they're not allowed the opportunity to help. They're the ones being helped. When you're being helped all the time and not given that opportunity to kind of twist it around, there's no, um, there's no opportunity for you to grow because you're just taking in the help. Um, so part of being authentic and part of being like, oh, I'm having such a bad day today, even though you're in a space with people who have much rougher days than you do, that gives them the opportunity too, to step in and say like, well, and give their perspective and, and them growing in that kind of helping out someone, even if. in comparison it would be um it wouldn't i don't know explain that (laughs) right but even they might
2: have more wisdom because their life you know is harder depending on where they're at and you know like right what's brought you together so it just kind of levels the playing field i guess in a way really beautifully
3: yeah i think it's it and it comes from that mindset of of who who are you putting yourself to be like this kind of static kind of i am the helper and you're the helpie. and it's so static and it doesn't um it doesn't allow for for anything beyond that whereas if you're just seeing people for who they are you know even you know whatever their circumstances are then you get a chance to grow from them too yeah we all need each other absolutely <laughs>
2: Michelle, is there anything coming up that um, people who are already um, kind of maybe involved or already know of Chili's on Wheels or who have no relationship to Chili's on Wheels who can kind of keep keep an eye out for things that are coming up on the
3: horizon? Anything that you want to share? We have a lot of projects uh, within Chili's on Wheels coming out soon. Um, We're developing this pilot program on um, using the... um, Going into like shelters and uh, t- uh, training the chefs in, in shelters to kind of do vegan meals from the food that they receive from um, federally federal aids. Um, so we're um, we're definitely looking for people that w- might want to get involved in that to help us um, uh, train um, train the people that are cooking in these large institutions. So um, that's kind of our biggest project. And, you know, obviously if you feel the need, um, to start a chapter, you can get involved with us, uh, contact, um, us and we'll set you right up.
2: Yeah. And I highly recommend it. I've done it a couple of times and it's, it's really fun. And of course you feel great, but you're also, yeah, feeding people as, as this very tangible, um, sense of you know helping enjoy and also just sharing in a delicious meal because the food is really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you so much for yes. um coming and talking about your work. And you can find Chili's on Wheels at it's just at Chili's on Wheels on Instagram, Twitter, face not, and Twitter. Fa- not Twitter, yeah. Instagram, Instagram and Facebook and uh, our
3: website chilies on wheels
2: Great. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of Food Without Borders. Uh, I'm your host, Leah Kurtz, and you can find us on heritageradionetwork.org, as well as iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter,